1: Hello and welcome to The Athletic Soccer Show. It is the day before deadline day and all over Europe, deals are being struck, plans are being made to get those late movers over the line. I'm Jack Collins and I'll be your host today as we look at some of the biggest deals that might still be alive and kicking as we hurtle towards that deadline. And joining me to give you those insights into what to expect is The Athletic's very own Liam Toomey. Liam, it's great to have you back on the show.
2: Yeah, it's great to be back. And, um, yeah, what was it, 18 days ago we last spoke? And that was about three or four massive Chelsea transfers ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's really moved fast, hasn't it? Especially at Stamford Bridge uh, across the course of this window. And look, Chelsea have been... The major movers and shakers in this market so far so it's great to have an expert on to discuss their late moves but also some potential exits and some other interesting bits and bobs from around the premier league as well plenty to get through but i think we should start with the news that chelsea are back in for enzo fernandez when you were on a few weeks back as you say you said you wouldn't be surprised if chelsea reignited this one at the end of the window and so it's proved are the club more confident in getting it done this time around
2: there seems to be a confidence based purely on what Chelsea are prepared to offer, which is significantly more than last time when we were reporting on this at the start of January, led by the excellent David Ornstein and my colleague, Simon Johnson. um, Our impression was that Chelsea's offer only offer to Benfica um, was 85 million euros with, uh, you know, one or two players floated as potential exchange permanently or on loan. Um, And that was, nowhere near acceptable to to Benfica, particularly in the middle of the season for a player who's been a key part of what they've done um, in the Champions League group stage and, and in the Portuguese league. Their stance has always been pay the value of the release clause, 120 million euros, 105 million pounds or nothing. Um, and so for a while, I think Chelsea went away. They looked at the market for midfielders. They obviously took a, a very close look Moises Caicedo, Um, Brighton made it pretty clear there'd be no bargains to be had there either in this particular window. Um, And so I think what's happened is that Chelsea have circled back around to their number one target in in midfield and they've come to the conclusion that they are prepared to go extremely big. And when we're talking extremely big, we're talking about British transfer records. Certainly You know, the most expensive player Chelsea have ever bought um, to make this deal happen right now. And we can go into a little bit of why that might be, but it would be certainly an incredible um, jaw-dropping end to what has been a crazy January window by, by Chelsea standards. I think by anybody's standards, Lim. If you you look at it in that way, but and I'm sure
1: there will be general outcry if Chelsea go and drop another hundred odd million pounds, a hundred, you know, twenty thirty million dollars on Enzo Fernandez, as good as he is, and I think as as well respected as he is, to pay that. And, And you and I talked last time about the fact that you're paying the premium on talent. You know, it's the it's the potential you're buying here as much as anything else, and that's that's a risky move. So. Is the kind of general feeling about this that Chelsea wants to steal a march on anyone else who might have designs on going after Enzo this summer?
2: Yeah, I think there's part of that. And and when you look ahead to this summer, Chelsea are very unlikely to have Champions League football to offer, which some of their rival suitors, I'm sure, will do. Yeah. Um, so that may be factoring into this. I think there might be an element of getting everything done in one season in terms of the way FFP is calculated. I know we've talked. I know everyone's been talking a lot about amortization. We've heard the word amortization more in the last month, uh, with regard to Chelsea than maybe ever before. But I think one of the other aspects at play is that FFP is a rolling three year calculation. So, and, and there are progressively tightening, um, financial restrictions in the next few years, tied to overall club revenues. That UEFA is introducing from next season. Um, so I think the bigger financial picture is that Chelsea are front-loading what would be several years' worth of spending for normal clubs, um, or at least several windows worth of spending now, and, yeah. uh, and of course last summer, in the hope uh, that they won't have to spend as much later. And because I, you know, I can guarantee you. This is not in the Todd Bowley, Clear Lake Capital plan to spend 250 million pounds in every transfer window. That's not a sustainable business strategy. And these guys are very business minded. So um, I think it's highly aggressive to do this right now. They are paying, if they get this done, they will be paying absolute top value for for Enzo fernandez they will be pricing him at his best case scenario outcome as a player as they've done with several other players in this window um so it's risky it's certainly ambitious and only time will tell whether or not it pays off
1: yeah, am i right in saying that when tell Boli and, and clear lake took over it gives you a new reset on ffp so as to not Utilize the kind of finances of a previous regime. Is there that hard reset, or is that is that simplifying it too much?
2: No, I don't think it starts from zero. And in some ways, that's actually benefited uh, Chelsea's new owners because, for all that, <laughs> for all that there's been criticism behind the scenes from you know around the new ownership towards the Abramovich era uh, decision making, they've actually benefited from the fact that Marina Granovskaya, in particular. Generated a lot of money from player sales. Um, and that impacted Chelsea's bottom line when it came to FFP in the last few years. Chelsea have generated far more money from player sales, particularly of academy players, than anyone else in Europe and certainly all their Premier League rivals in the last few years. And that has given that is part of this extremely complicated financial equation yeah. that the new owners feel gives them the wiggle room um, to be able to spend big now and still remain. Within the confines of of FFP compliance, even if it looks on the face of it like there's there's no hope of do- them doing that.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is it. It's less than twenty days, as we say, since we last talked, and yeah, it feels in some ways, that Chelsea have done the world of business, the business of a lifetime, since we talked about the fact that they'd signed Joao Felix on loan. Since then, Mikhailo Mudrik's come in, Noni Mad Wakers come in to add attacking thrust to an already stacked forward line, and an agreement to sign Leon right back. Malagusta has been put in place for the summer. So I've got two questions. One is, how is the mood of the club? Is Graham Potter happy with his new players? And the second revolves around exits. And I suppose it, feeds back into what you were just saying um, around that kind of front loading of a window because Chelsea know that they don't have to do a a fire sale if you will in the summer but over the next couple of windows they will be able to offload players who maybe don't have a future at the club for still relatively big fees because these are talented footballers. So one is this uh, something that Graham Potter is is delighted with and two are we going to have to see exits in this window is it something the club aren't too worried about?
2: Well, I think firstly, in terms of the mood of the club, it depends who you ask. Um, I, I think the uh, the owners and the owners will certainly be very excited about the players they brought in. I'm sure having greenlit those deals, um, yeah. the recruitment staff as well, who would have pushed for some of these names. And it it's absolutely true that you know none of these players have been brought in without Graham Potter's approval as much as he's not necessarily driving the recruitment strategy, nor does he want to. um, These are all players that he's at least said that he likes behind the scenes and and would like to work with and fit into his idea of football. Um, So I think there's excitement there. I think, you know, if you were to ask different members of the squad, you'd probably get different reactions because some of them are having their places threatened by all of this. Some of them will probably look at it and go, I'm going to raise my game. Make myself indispensable to Chelsea. Some of them may well be looking elsewhere anyway, um, at their next clubs and, and potential next moves, either in this window or more likely in the summer and, and a couple of windows to come. So, um, I think I think it's mixed. But you know, if you look at the if you canvass the fan base right now, I think there's huge excitement, as there often is with football fans when you see this kind of spending, because they're they're spending big money to bring in exciting players. Ultimately, I mean, I think in this window, we've seen, we've got a much better idea of the type of player that, that Todd Bowley and Clear Lake Capital want to target, which is players under the age of 23 that have at least flashed elite potential. And in some cases built a considerable body of work um, that suggests that they, they have elite potential in the near future. And they've been prepared to go out and pay top dollar for these guys. Um, so I think there's excitement, but I think there's also probably a bit of trepidation and there, there's no doubt that this kind of spending, this level of recruitment has the capacity to be destabilising for a squad as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of players and there's a lot of bodies
1: in in a, a small number of attacking positions, I would say, where, where it looks like Chelsea are most stacked right now. Um, the Enzo deal, though, does potentially throw up more situations in centre midfield as well. And... Conor Gallagher and Ruben Loftus-Cheek are two that have been touted to potentially leave. Now, you've reported today that the former has zero interest in joining Everton, who apparently tabled a bid for Conor Gallagher. But with Newcastle, Palace and Moore all reportedly interested in one or both of these, is there a feeling that if this Enzo goes deal goes through, that there might be exits in this area before the end of the window at Chelsea?
2: Well, I think for a while now... Everyone involved has been keenly aware that Conor Gallagher is one of Chelsea's most saleable assets. Um, because he's not on massive Chelsea money. Yeah, yeah, he's on good Premier League money, but he's not on the kind of wages that would be an obstacle to any transfer. And he's played well every single place he's been. Um so I think he's he's a player that his his skill set fits in a lot of different types of team and I think he's a player that a lot of clubs would look at and think "There's we, we would have a high degree of confidence that he would be a success with us. So that explains the the level of Premier League interest in, in Conor Gallagher. Um, and I think a lot of clubs have been watching his situation for a long time. There was interest last summer, but Thomas Tuchel made it very clear that he, he really liked Gallagher himself and wanted to give him a chance in the squad. And, and Gallagher's first priority has always been he wants to be a Chelsea player. Okay. And at times this season, you've seen it on the pitch that he almost wants it too much um, because he's a, he's a Chelsea fan. His whole family of Chelsea fans, this is about the heart as well as the head for him. Um, so I think he he's probably of the mindset that he would only consider a move elsewhere if it, if it becomes clear to him that he's, there, there's no sort of first-team future for him at Chelsea. Um. But he's always been someone that we've been looking at and other clubs have been looking at as probably candidate number one that Chelsea would look to sell um, and raise significant money if they needed to, to offset some of the spending that they're doing. And because of the way these things are accounted for, because of the way clubs account for purchases versus sales, strangely, Chelsea selling Conor Gallagher in this window for 40, 45 million or, or maybe more to a Premier League club would offset a lot yep. of what they've done this window in the accounts, even if on the face of it, it's a drop in the ocean compared to what they've spent.
1: Yeah, because of the way that the money comes in up front as opposed to over the the depth of a contract, right? So that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, Gallagher is, is a very interesting character and he's a very, very good footballer, but there's also this kind of secondary thing in the background. And I think especially with Newcastle there, um, there's there's plenty to be to be said about everton and, and the way that things are, are running there but i also think that conor gallagher at this point needs to be credited for the fact that he's thought about that decision and gone i don't think that's potentially the club for me and i'm sure he would have had contract with the ex-management staff at everton who have obviously had those links to him at chelsea who might have gone i'm not sure that's the one for you connor actually right now but generally i think there's this kind of secondary thing with newcastle united where Chelsea might be looking at Newcastle and looking at their place in the table. And there was obviously a little bit of this touted last summer when the takeover happened, that the big six, et cetera, weren't willing to deal with Newcastle on paper because they were worried that they were going to, to move quite quickly into those places. Now, that's happened it doesn't feel like a movement where you'd be like if i'm chelsea i wouldn't want to be selling to newcastle at, at decent fees i wouldn't want to be loaning players which looks like it's going to be their primary tactic and i wonder if that will play into things now that they've been linked with both gallagher and off to
2: no it's a very good point and it is something we've heard that is part of the conversation internally at chelsea ar- around gallagher and around any other players that chelsea might sell is that not only were Newcastle earmarked as a potential rival when, when the Saudi money came in, they have emerged as a very real rival yeah. if you look at the Premier League table this year and the lightning progress they've made. So, um, yeah, it, it's definitely a consideration. And I think if all things were equal and Gallagher didn't have a massive preference, if the money was the same, Chelsea would probably much rather sell to a West Ham, a Crystal Palace, an Aston Villa, you know, any, any of these other clubs that are not deemed to be the same level as Chelsea in the long term, uh, as opposed to Newcastle, especially when Eddie Howe has proven that already that he seems to maximise almost everyone that he gets hold of yeah. um, at that club. So, yeah, that's definitely part of the conversation. And when it comes to Loftus-Cheek, I mean, we've we've not heard anything recently to suggest that he would... Um, be someone who could be moving in this window. I think time is probably against it at this stage. We probably would have heard something by now. Yeah. Maybe I'll be wrong. But um, we, we've we also never heard Loftus-Cheek kind of pushing either overtly or behind the scenes to to leave Chelsea. He loves Chelsea. Um, I think he wants to be a Chelsea player, even if that's only in a squad capacity and to help the club in any way that he can. And he's also on a big contract yeah, um, a, a very big contract that Chelsea actually gave him when he was injured, when he ruptured his Achilles. It was almost like they were looking after him and, and giving him that security. Um, and so he's, he's on very good money that would be an obstacle, I think, to, to or at least a mild deterrent to, to a few Premier League clubs that might be looking at him. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
0: Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card.
1: Okay, let's come away from Chelsea, well, a little bit, um, and talk about Moises Caicedo. Now, the reporting coming out from the Athletic appears to be that Arsenal are going in again um, to try and make this done. He's a player that Chelsea were obviously looking at earlier in the window. And therefore, it's an interesting one with Chelsea and Arsenal clearly in this window, looking at similar players in similar roles, even if their, you know, bids and and what they've actually tabled financially hasn't been the same. This is one that Chelsea have maybe walked away from to say, OK, the, the value is better on an Enzo Fernandes than it is on a Moises Caicedo at Brighton. That that difference isn't what they believe it to be. Arsenal have clearly felt like that valuation is fair. Um how how does it look to you and and do you think that there's chances Arsenal get this over the line
2: well our our brighton colleague andy naylor has been absolutely adamant now for several days uh, that every everything he is hearing suggests that brighton will not sell Caicedo at any price in this window now that could be real that could be extremely strong posturing i don't know but i I find it difficult to believe he would have gone so strong on that if he didn't have a high degree of confidence that that, you know, that was the way Brighton were going to go with this. And part of me wonders as well whether Chelsea have moved away from Caicedo in part because they know Brighton well enough at this stage <laughs> to know when they're going to sell and when they're not. Um, they've had so many negotiations with with the Brighton hierarchy that – I I think there's a high degree of familiarity there uh, that maybe Arsenal don't have. And I think Chelsea have got the impression that Caicedo is just not gettable. Um, The the only bid that we're aware of that Chelsea have made for him was £55 million, which is nowhere near the level that I think would even prompt a conversation at Brighton anyway. Um, But it's also important to note that as far as we understand it, Brighton have not given an asking price to, to Chelsea, to Arsenal, to anyone else. Um, who might be looking at him because their stance is that he's just not for sale. So Arsenal are going to keep banging on that door. Um, but I, like, I come back to what Andy Naylor has been reporting. I, I've got no reason to doubt yeah. what he's been saying that Brighton won't sell. So I, it will be up to Arsenal to come back with just a, a crazy, crazy offer that maybe makes Brighton think again. But if we if we use the Mudric negotiations as a guide, you wouldn't necessarily bet on that happening. Arsenal seem to be a club who have their price that they're willing to pay for a player. And if and if it goes beyond that, they walk away. Yeah, it's it's been really secure,
1: I think, from Arsenal, their, their transfer dealing. So it's going to be very interesting. They will keep banging on that door, whether it opens or not, is a very different question. I suppose the really interesting thing, Liam, with the Caicedo stuff is the fact that he has posted and postured himself uh, that he is now ready to leave and brighton have basically said right you're on you're on strike or we're putting you on performative strike if you will until the transfer window is over now whether that is to say i just don't want your head going anywhere else near the pitch when when this is all going on and we have no intention of selling you but once you know February the first strikes there's absolutely nothing you can do about that until the summer or whether that is a he's being left out of the squad so that there is an argument that he can make this move is a different question but I, I haven't seen a post like this which was I think relatively Well framed from his perspective in terms of I thought it was polite and it it wasn't like I want to move because X, Y, Z. It was just it was like this is how I feel about this at the exact moment in time. And yet it's still something that's quite weird, bolt from the blue.
2: Yeah, it's not something you see many players do. Um, It's not the way that most players representatives would advise them to go about something like this. I thought the statement itself was was quite interesting and in that it made you understand his situation. You know, he's come from a very poor background and this is an opportunity. You can understand why any player would, would be immediately, um, tempted to do this now, because as we're seeing with Chelsea and Enzo, there's no guarantee that Chelsea, Arsenal won't have moved on to other targets in six months. Yeah, you know that Caicedo has no guarantee that this market for him will still be there in this form um, in six months' time. So I, I, I always understand when players do this. I know fans don't because they're they're viewing things through the the prism of loyalty to their club. And and even if Caicedo was was trying to be as conciliatory as possible towards Brighton, a statement like that is never going to go down well. No. Um, but I do, I do get it and I, I also think from Brighton's point of view, this is part of this is is should be priced into the business model, the way they operate because they recruit brilliantly. that that is self-evident. They recruit young up and coming players brilliantly and they they find guys in lower divisions in, in, in lesser spotted markets and they, they do a brilliant job of developing them. But part of the reason why they're able to recruit brilliantly is that they pitch themselves to these young players. As a stepping stone, yeah, they freely admit, come here, we'll give you a Premier League platform. If you take it, if you flourish, we won't get in your way when you want to move on to bigger and better things. And so the problem with that is that you can't always control when the next step presents itself and you can't always predict it. So I'm sure Brighton would have thought they'd have more time with Caicedo before this level of interest developed. He's not played much in the Premier League for them. Um, but the situation is what it is, and they're under pressure now. So it it all depends how they, how they handle this. And so far, they've been very, very bullish.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. And that kind of way of dealing with things is very reminiscent of an Ajax or a Borussia Dortmund, who obviously have differing positions within their respective power struggles domestically than Brighton do. But I think there has been that kind of feeling around both clubs that, players come in they know that they're going to get that exposure and that experience and then they have been allowed to move on as long as it's maximizing profit for the club which is which is a perfectly sensible way to run a club and um, one of the things I thought about the Caicedo move which we haven't necessarily seen with lots of things is Brighton always tend to have uh, an, an auxiliary if you will someone that they'll they think is ready to step into the breach uh, and to come forward as one big player leaves and we've seen it Kaiseido himself was, was one for Basuma in, in, in fact. And what I did think was interesting today was that Brighton have signed a centre midfielder. Now, I don't necessarily think this moves the needle in this window, but they signed Yasin Ayari from Sweden. And you're looking at that and going, right, is that the cover for Kaiseido when the next window comes? And, and that's the, the part of it that I thought was, was interesting, because they have a habit, uh, a very healthy habit of getting this right.
2: Yeah, and that's what smart clubs do at this level. They recruit the replacement before they sell the the player that everyone wants and, and often they do it six months to a year before they end up selling that player so they have the next person just ready to step up. I, w- I wouldn't read too much into that in terms of Caicedo leaving or staying right uh, now, yeah. at Brighton in the, in this window because I think regardless... Their position is their position. I think you have to take them at face value until we until we hear otherwise. Um, and I would imagine if they're signing this guy out of Sweden, he's going to take a bit of developing. Uh, he's not going to be ready to come in and shine straight away. Um, but yeah, it, I think it is it is a really smart business model. I think it part of it is conducive with with where Brighton typically operate in the, in the Premier League table where. You're not under pressure to win every single game, every single season. So you can take on these development projects and a level of risk that um, top clubs can't or don't consider themselves able to. And uh, Chelsea seem to be trying to do a twin track strategy where they're trying to be an elite club and a Brighton type club, um, signing all these 18, 19 year olds. But that's a very different model with the with the whole feeder club structure. But Bright, Brighton have have been a stellar example of how to do this and how to do this well for a number of years now
1: yeah absolutely agreed absolutely agreed Uh, last one for today liam is the news this morning that it looks like João Cancelo uh, is going to be going to Bayern Munich on loan uh, with an option of around 70 million euros uh, which is pretty high um, for a player of his age but this one came from nowhere and I think a lot of people uh, took a few double takes and David Ornstein posted this one this morning
2: yeah I mean it it came from nowhere in terms of Cancelo leaving in this window is a surprise but the warning signs were there in the way that his playing time has dropped off dramatically since the World Cup it's been really strange. And, and for a little while you thought, is this another Bernardo Silva situation where Pep Guardiola, for reasons undisclosed, just goes off a player for an undefined period of time and then suddenly they come back and are important again. Um, but it seems that Cancelo fell out of the team f- perhaps for uh, football reasons, perhaps for non-football reasons and has has been proactive in in. Looking for other opportunities um, and it's a, it's an, it's a strange transfer just because he was one of city's best players last season yeah. um, especially one of their most creative players um, from that from that left back spot and they don't have an immediate replacement. I know they've been playing Nathan Ake in front of him at left back, but he's a very different type of player uh, and it and it kind of changes the nature of what they do as a team if Cancelo isn't there. So it's it's a significant loss. I've already seen people on Twitter equating this to, to Fergie shipping out Yap Stam in the early 2000s and suggesting that Guardiola might regret this. I mean, history suggests Guardiola gets more of these calls right than wrong when it, it when it comes to the team dynamic. But City have lost a really good player. I think what's really interesting is
1: the light that it now sheds on Alexander Zinchenko's move to Arsenal in the summer. Now, there have been plenty of discourse around the idea that City haven't been given enough criticism, might be the wrong word, but a, a, enough yap for the fact that they sold Zinchenko and Gabby Jesus to Arsenal, who now sit ahead of them at the table and, and look favourites for the Premier League title. And there was the discussion that if any other club had done that, they would be brought, the hammers would be brought down on them uh, in terms of criticism. But I do wonder if, you know, Cancelo was seen as the Obvious long term solution at left back. Obviously, Sergio Gomez was brought in as a kind of understudy, but not one that they looked at necessarily utilising all that much. And now that this has happened, the actual question isn't necessarily about Cancelo's loss at this point. It's whether Zinchenko should have been maintained as a as, as City's kind of first choice left back in that situation. So there's, there's there's some interesting dynamics out of this one, I think.
2: Yeah, it does make you reevaluate that decision in, in a slightly different light. And lest we forget. City wanted Mark Kukurea as well. Um, they had a price. Chelsea went beyond that price, so they walked away. But Guardiola had, had certainly earmarked Kukurea as a guy who could come in and play that left back position. And not only did they not get him, they didn't get anyone else who was first team ready in that spot. So it looks like that will be, I mean, it will have to be an area of priority for City at some point. Times against them in this window. Uh, and it doesn't sound like they're going to sign a new, a new left back in this window. But you'd think it would have to be a, a high priority in summer. The other aspect to all of this is whether Bayern end up activating that that fee, yeah, um, because it's you know it's it's high. Bayern don't normally pay fees of that size, um, but you, if Cancelo comes in and is decisive for them in the second half of the season, it looks like they're going to play him at right back. Um, then. He could be well worth that outlay for them. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, and and I think there might be an argument.
1: Obviously, we haven't seen the end of this window yet, but there might be an argument that in Jan Sommer, Daily Blind on a free, and Drakencello on loan, Bayern have maybe strengthened the hardest, maybe outside of Chelsea. But I think in terms of players who are absolutely ready to walk into a side straight away, Bayern might well end up looking like they've won this transfer window, and it just adds another string to that bow ahead of. Well, what will be very, very important in terms of the Champions League final stages?
2: They move very quietly, don't they, Bayern? Always, and they they tend to find ways to upgrade with minimal outlay. They're very smartly run in that sense, and they have been for several years now. It's bad for the rest of the German league for the for for Bayern to be so efficiently run, but the, you can only you can only respect it. And um, I think that a lot of that is they have their strategy but they they're also opportunistic in good ways you know that Joao Cancelo was an opportunity that didn't exist yeah even a month ago uh really so they they they're flexible enough to to react to changing circumstances as well as having top targets that they monitor for a long time like most clubs
1: Yeah, yeah. And Matthias De Ligt in the the summer springs to mind as well in that regard. Um, But I think, Liam, that we will leave it there. So all that's left for me to do is say thank you so much for coming on the Athletic Soccer Show today. It's been a, a real delight sharing the microphone
2: with you. No, pleasure to be back, and I'll, I'll I'll see you again in a couple of hundred millions worth of Chelsea spending.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, that will be two days, I think. If uh, if, if we're being honest <laughs> with ourselves, um, there is plenty to look forward to over the next couple of days uh, on the Athletic for the transfer window. So make sure you're checking the app for all the latest news. I'm sure there are going to be thrills, spills, and shocks as we hurtle towards the end of this january window i've been jack collins this has been the athletic soccer show we hope you've enjoyed it take care